Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Labelled Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Alice. Hi. Hi. Uh, and I'm Lucy, in case you didn't know. So how are you, Alice? You all right? Yeah, I am not too bad, Lucy. I've been working this morning, so... Mm. Um, I will be all disabilityed out by the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> you get like <laughs> that. Sometimes you're like, I don't want to talk about wheelchairs or access or anything else. Yeah, yeah. So or at um, least twenty-four hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my plan, big plans for tomorrow are sitting on my butt and watching Netflix. I think. Don't so, blame you. Yeah. Don't blame you. Hmm. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, cleaned the car this morning. When I say I cleaned the car, I supervised somebody else cleaned the car. Um, and then we bought you, some... and the, you and the dogs stood there and just just gave notes. Yeah, yeah. Missed a bit. I'm watching from a distance. And then we bought some air fresheners, all three of which my mom doesn't like the smell of, so I've gone straight in the bin. Why? Why did she not smell them first? Couldn't. They were sealed packages, and she's very funny about smells, and she didn't like any of them. One of them was rainbow flavor. How do you know what a rainbow smells like? What does a rainbow smell like? Old lady perfume. Uh, yeah, no, that, yeah. that's... They've been like that. It's got super sensitive. Walk into a room and go, smells like dogs in here. And I'll be like, well, David, we do live with two dogs. Most <laughs> yeah. of our house smells like dogs. That'll do it. <laughs> Whereas yeah. I have just acclimatised yeah, you get, you the get, general doggy you, odour. You've gone nose blind. Yeah, I really that advert, that's what advert says. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a guest with us today, as usual. Uh, this week we're joined by Colm Woolley, um, who I am very excited. Lucy and I were talking about this beforehand. Uh, from the little bit of accent I've just heard, I think, Colm, <laughs> you are our first Irish uh, guest, which is exciting for us. Good. <laughs> uh come do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell them a little bit about you oh gosh a little bit i've been on this planet a long time so i'll keep it very brief um i suppose just to give a little background i had a motorcycle accident in 1980 which is probably well before either of you were born um i was working in advertising at the time and uh like anybody who has a, a serious spinal injury, I spent, hello, I spent nine months in rehab. So that was wow. my introduction to a new world of being disabled. So uh, I'm now, I would now, gosh, what? I'm using a wheelchair now 40, 42 years. So I'm longer a wheelchair user than I was uh, able-bodied. So um, the last 42 years, most of that has been involved in disability advocacy in 1993 i set up um 
Spinal Injuries Ireland, which would be the equivalent of uh, the Spinal Injuries Association that you have in the UK. Oh, okay. So, so we would have provided the same services here in Ireland. Mm. I think um, I I didn't didn't realise that um, it was a motorcycle accident that had um, had you know yeah. caused you to become disabled. Calm. I know both Lucy and I. Our dads are both avid motorcyclists. Well, um, I still love motorbikes, so that hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When yeah. when uh, when my dad, uh, well, my, when my parents discovered that I got cerebral palsy, my dad, I think, had there was discussions when I was very young about putting a sidecar on the uh, on the motorbike. Yeah. Never been never been in a sidecar, yeah. and I think I am of the age now where it would be very difficult to get me in a, in a sidecar. I do like the I like the um I like the noise of a Harley Davidson because uh, that's what my dad drives while well, usually okay. going a lot of so yeah it's a it's, yes it's either noisy or nothing in our in our house which is a motto I live by isn't it Alice <laughs> noisy <laughs> yes, or nothing say, definitely <laughs> translated didn't it yeah. you inherited that trait absolutely from your dad. yeah yeah. Uh, so are you do you still kind of get involved in motor, motorcycling is that something that I'd, you can I'd, still can be involved in i i'd still watch it on, on tv but as i said my real passions uh before my accident i did uh free climbing so obviously oh, wow. obviously that wasn't something i could do after my accident so it was a case of looking around and uh, i took up um kayaking so one of my big two big passions are uh, martial arts and kayaking, which at the time back in 1980, I was told neither were realistic or practical for a wheelchair user. But thankfully, mm. uh, I think certainly in the last decade, I think attitudes and perceptions of what disabled people can do have, have changed. But, but back in 1980, uh, it was it really was the dark ages, to be honest. Uh, attitudes were very different, uh, particularly, and I hate to use the term, but how disabled people were treated. So when I first mm. said about, you know, I'd love to try kayaking, I couldn't get anybody to uh, even consider it. And then my passion before my accident had been martial arts. And again, the idea of someone in a wheelchair doing martial arts uh, was unheard of. Now, I, you know, it's something I've been involved in since my accident, traveled all around the world, meet other martial artists, and they don't see me as a disabled person. They just see me as another martial artist. So I definitely think there's been an improvement. I think we've our profile has been changed. We're on we're more visible. But God, back in the 1980s, it was hard work. It was uh, you, you know you felt you were your own ambassador all the time, trying to uh, yeah. not have people. Uh, I'm not saying I had too many people pat me on the head, but you you know what I'm talking about that that yeah. uh, that attitude. Uh, I I always give an analogy. Where we've all just come out of um, COVID, and I always give when someone says, "How do you mean th this attitude?" and I talk about my wife and I were out uh, for a walk. I still say walk after all these years or a push, whatever. And uh, some neighbours saw my wife and they waved, and it was a big wave, big wide wave. But when when they met me on my own and they were waving, you get this: it's the head down and the little the little gentle wave. And uh, my my wife said to me. Why are they waving to you different? I said it's because they see the wheelchair and it's that this sort of little gentle little wave. So we still have a bit to go, but 
you know attitudes how I, I and i think in the uk because i've i've been at conferences and i have a lot of friends over there as well i think attitudes have changed in your opinion colm what what do you think have been the pivotal moments since the 1980s where where opinions in your eyes have changed or have helped change things I, you know is, is there something that you can pinpoint well there's one thing and i'm, I'm going to point to the uk again to, you know and then go back from there i think the uh the, the olympics in london with the paralympics yeah. in london i think the way they were they were shown on the tv and they got equal billing and all that i think that was mm. a, i think that was a massive game changer yeah. i Absolutely. know i do know that some people uh who were disabled or wheelchair users whatever that uh felt that it almost uh there was almost an expectation that everyone in a wheelchair was now uh, an, an athlete but it, it's it's a big improvement from people assuming everyone in a wheelchair was helpless so i mm. i think that certainly was a game changer i think seeing more people on the, the the TV, more people out working. I think the back in the 80s, and I know it happened in the UK as well, and it was in the USA as well, it was here, the, the independent living movement, which campaigned for change, mm. uh, I think that was massive. Uh, mm. I think that had a huge change. Yeah, we've talked about that. Um, so the organization I work for has been around, I think it's since 93 or 94, and they talked about how uh, we're we're a third sector organisation um, working with people um, with learning disabilities, neurodiversities, and um, one of the things that they've talked about is the huge difference in the way services began to be delivered in the late nineties when we moved yeah. from um, essentially institutions, residential yeah, placements. Yes to supported living trying to provide care at home um and you know promoting day centers and things like that for for people and respite rather than taking um disabled people out of that family out the family home um mm. and and i suppose that it's it's just allowed that allowed disabled people to remain much more included in their communities and i i often say as well i think the best adv advocacy a disabled person can do even if they don't think of themselves as an advocate is to be out and about visibly Absolutely. visibly out and about yes. enjoying life you know having 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 a laugh with your mates and uh, by doing that alone the more people see that you know the more non non disabled people and society yeah. as a oh, whole see that, yeah, the more used people get to, yeah. get to Absolutely. seeing it a disabled removes, person. Yeah, it removes the myths. I mean, yeah. after my accident, uh, you know, obviously coming to terms with it was a, a, a massive change from somebody that you know uh, was very independent, and all of a sudden, whoa, it changed. I went back to college. And the real reason I went back to college was one was to give myself some headspace. I went and I, I studied uh, architecture and engineering, but it was also, I wanted to get a sense of how I needed to engage with people. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't used to engaging with people as a disabled person. Sure, I had done it in rehab, but it's very different when you leave a rehab setting. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, going to college for me, a big part of that was just, I, I just wanted to, you know, get a sense of how, of 
how did I convey to people that I was still, you know, a person with capacity and capability? And, you know, you talk about us being visible. I remember the first week in college, we, we were all sitting at these big, long drawing, big, large drawing tables. And if I dropped a pencil, there, there was almost an avalanche of people uh, rushing up to pick up the pencil off the ground. But very quickly, they saw I could lean down, pick up the pen and no big deal. And once they got to know me, they didn't see the wheelchair anymore. I was just another student. So, you know, it is it is important the more visible we are. You know, I always remember I, I went in, uh, to a conference in Switzerland and I went into Lucerne. I, I couldn't believe the amount of wheelchair users I, I saw working over there. And it was made such a difference. It removed a lot of the, the perceptions that people have. So I think, I do think we've still a long way to go. And I'm going to say something which some people with a disability, disability don't like. I think we've lost ground since uh, all the, the progress we made in the 90s. Uh, I think we need to, um, you know, reestablish our presence. I, I do think uh, within the disability advocacy, I think one of the places we're failing is we're not speaking with one voice. I think we, we, we have a massive power uh, worldwide and in, in the UK or here in Ireland, but I think we're all, understandably, we're all doing our own thing. We're, we're all campaigning for particular issues, but I think if we could come together under one banner, I think it would be massive. You know, I think we could really demand, you know, better services. I know that there's been cutbacks uh, around PA services over there, and we've had them here as well. And that's massive. You know, so I, I, I think while we've made a lot of progress, I do think um, we do need to rethink how we engage and we get our message out there. I think as well, Colm, part of the, the reason that there is... So you know such sort of disparate advocacy and campaigning is in a lot of ways because the way that services have been uh sort of structured and the way that the systems have been put together that it encourages that um Absolutely. sort of disparateness and that separation you know it's it it's the that you're you know only certain providers will and you know certain departments even within local authorities and nhs and things like that that don't look at a don't take a holistic approach Absolutely. to disabled people and to the disabled community so that we do end up going well there's a group of people who are being affected by this issue and they're over here with this service and this department and so of course they're going to be the ones shouting about it Absolutely. And there's, I mean, I, I mean, my my feelings are that that is, that's a, a systemic issue that's in like encourages that, oh, that separation absolutely. and division. If, if you think back to, and again, I'm a lot older than you guys, but if you think back to the '90s when the independent living movement started, I mean, it was it was powerful. I mean, the changes it brought about in the USA and it brought about in the UK and here were massive. We, we moved away from a, a medical model where, you know, there was there was almost an acceptance that people, disabled people went into sheltered accommodation or, or nursing homes or, or whatever. The, the whole attitude changed. And 
government started to see and listen to most importantly disabled people because i you know i'm old enough again to remember when it was able-bodied people speaking for us and that perpetuates that perpetuates to the the general public that that people with a disability don't have the capacity themselves and to be fair to the general public if they see people are certainly they used and it's an able-bodied person talking about disabled or for disabled people all the time it, it reinforces this image that disabled people don't have the capacity them, themselves yeah and it, it's a lot like as well when you get you know still in this day and age you get complaints on the television about somebody you know um sort of making light of a disabled person or making a joke at a disabled person's expense and you actually look at the complaint and you discover that the person complaining about the person making fun of the disabled person is actually able-bodied and actually if you talk if you talk to a disabled person we're likely to have a sense of humor about these things um you know and it's uh, that is what always gets me like i always say like stop getting up i will tell you when i want you to be upset about something i'm very good at that aren't i alice um i think if the general um, public knew what our the dark humor that disabled people share they'd probably be shocked you know absolutely uh, absolutely you know there are things that me and me and friends joke about and you go if if anybody could hear this conversation you'd think oh no you can't joke about but i think it i think it definitely helps you get through the tough times because if you didn't laugh you'd cry so you know yeah you know people i think non-disabled people are are frightened of disability because they don't want it happening to them and they know that eventually it will they will lose some faculty or another whether it be mobility or another another element um and they're scared of that fact so they like you can't you you know you get people there's certain things you can't joke about um and to extent extent uh, yeah that's true but when it comes to disability my personal opinion is like so long as the disabled people and the disabled community are okay with it in the majority then it's fine it's when it's when people get upset on our behalf and you like calm down because then that if they get upset on our behalf and you can't you know you can't take the mick or make fun of those disabled people it just perpetuates the myth that we're sad we don't we don't yeah i i always i i always feel when people uh with a group for example uh, when I took up kayaking and was doing it for a couple of years, you know, whatever, when when the other kayakers uh, would take the, the mickey out of me and, and slag me and say, you know, whatever, I knew then yeah. that they'd stop seeing my wheelchair, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and and to, be, to be fair to people in general, I think 99% of people are great. I, I do think that in, in, there's an awful lot more has to be done around removing some of the myths for like to give another example through my work i at one stage i was using an awful lot of taxis you know and i go to a taxi rank and you know hail a, a, a taxi and get into it and I, nine out of ten taxi drivers i don't know about over there but certainly here within two minutes of asking me where i was going they wanted to know my life story as in yeah. you know 
what happened yeah. to me. And, and some, yeah. you know, people, I've had friends say, oh, God, that's dreadful. I, I, I don't mind because they're, they're, look, they're curious. It, and I, 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 I find that after you, you get out of the taxi, you've, you've, all, you've educated them. You know, you've removed some of the myths. Like one of my best pals now that I go kayaking with was um, a taxi driver. I was, um, I'd been working over, I'd been asked by a British uh, charity to go over and do some work in Nepal. And I'd arrived back in, in Dublin airport with my large big bag on my, 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 my lap and I was heading out to the taxi rank and I happened to pick this taxi and, uh, you know, threw the bag in and, and he was saying, is your uh, your partner, your, your wife with you? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm on my own. And we got in and we got chatting and he was saying, where have you come from? And I said, uh, Nepal. And he said, Nepal, in, in, in Asia. And I said, yeah. And I could see his mind was tick. What were you doing over there? I said, I was working over there. Oh, now we now know each other a good few years. We, we, we kayaked hundreds of miles together. And uh, he is the worst person to take in the, 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 the make with me. But it, it's, it's, it's about engaging with people. And I think we, the more we do that, and most importantly, and it's still not happening as much as it should, we need more people with a disability on TV. TV is a powerful, um, or, you know, it's a powerful tool because it removes the myth straight away. Somebody becomes a mainstream character on whether it's EastEnders or Coronation Street or whatever soaps people watch. Um, all of a sudden, it just becomes the character, not the person in the wheelchair or the person who's blind or deaf or whatever the disability is. I want to I want to cycle the conversation back a little bit and just challenge something actually that you said there Cole, because it made it made me think of something that um, a previous guest of ours Jenny Berry um, came on she is a very popular um, Instagram influencer um, and she has an acquired disability and is a wheelchair user and she says that for her people asking her what happened to you you know that that is strangers in the street asking her to recount the most traumatic emotional and physical experience of her life and that happens to her multiple times on a daily basis and actually I think the work that she does as an influencer where she um, you know goes around she makes videos of her just being a person out doing things who happens to be using a wheelchair she makes videos just pointing things out to people I can remember her specifically talking about the red cord campaign um in public toilets which is of for emergency calls of course um and you know the that I think actually that approach personally I think I think that's very effective Absolutely. and helps with the myth busting um without people having to do the the emotional labor of um of, of satisfying other people's curiosities yeah, I, I, because I we're, totally we're not we're not freaks in a no. circus to no. be looked at and and for people to ask and I think I think that it's obviously it's an individual approach and I I get asked on a daily basis 
um, about my visual impairment. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we both do, don't we, Alice? We, uh, you know, at least a couple of times a week uh, get asked, yeah. oh, so what's what's going on here? What's going yeah. on there? Like, and and it is, you know, I, I will make a decision depending on who is asking absolutely. me. Absolutely, I'm totally the what, same. You know, and I just, I think personally i would actually discourage people from start from saying from responding when people say oh what happened to you yeah. because i mean also for a lot of people you know like myself and lucy well, what happened to us was we were born and <laughs> this is just who we are it was exciting really <laughs> and i don't really want people to i mean i would rather kind of slightly challenge somebody and say well actually nothing happened to me um, and that's actually a very personal question to encourage people to maybe think a little bit about what what they're doing. I, I don't think it is the role of the individual disabled person to educate non-disabled people and society about disability. I think the what you were moving on to say to talk about representation in the media, I think that that is far more important yeah. to with, actually educating people without a doubt i suppose i suppose really in some ways it, 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 it i'm certainly not advocating that everybody who has a disability has an obligation to um to educate the, the public but i suppose for some and I, I know for me personally now have i had people ask me and has it ticked me off absolutely but if if i get a sense that it, you know i get in I use the taxi as an example, um, and it's, and maybe just, maybe just thinking back to what you just, the, the two of you have just mentioned, maybe because my disability is acquired, and because people say to me, what happened? I suppose that maybe just, I'm coming from a different place, and I totally understand. And I would have friends who, their disability is totally different to mine, and they, they've said it to me, you know, People ask me what happened to me, and I say, "Well, you know, I was born. This is something I was born with." And, you know, so I think it's the, the individual. And look, the, the, the reality is, some people are more as well are more comfortable with their their disability. Like, just if, if I can just go back to talk about people with a spinal cord injury, you know, I I would know I would have met through my work with Spinal Injuries Ireland people who, twenty years later, are still angry about their their disability and it, the unfortunate thing is um it isolates them i'm not saying anybody should be uh jumping up or down or or whatever but i'm just saying i think we're all individuals it affects people different some people are more comfortable some absolutely don't want to be so i certainly wouldn't think that we should wear uh, a badge saying listen i'm here to uh um, address your curiosity about disability to go back to what i said a little while the real, the real deal is if we can see more disabled people in the media, on the television, reading the news, doing the weather forecast, you know, stars on TV shows, that's what really makes the difference. And as well, uh, you know, and I know within the disabled, the spinal cord injury uh, sector, the, the, the number of people who return to work, there should be far more disabled people out there working than there are. You know, the three of us are talking about work, but we're the exception rather than the rule, unfortunately. And I think, again, that is 
that's a, a systemic issue. That is because processes have not been streamlined and pl- things are not put in place to enable us Absolutely. to. I, I, I ch- so I got a new job in December and then um, in February I um, had some hour changes and then starting um, in a couple of weeks I am. Uh, actually changing my role is changing slightly so I have had to because of the changes to my work had to contact access to work to say that means my support needs are changing I had an email to arrange to have a telephone conversation about my phone call in February to say that my um, my needs were changing I finally have had a phone call to arrange a conversation to set that up and I'm like well, things have changed again since then, and it has taken you four and a half months to get back to me. Thankfully, my support agency are really flexible and know that you know they'll be a, they'll they'll find a way to work it out. But yeah. not, if every, weren't, not everybody's got an agency that is flexible or can you know exactly exactly gap. And so you know, it's no wonder there are disabled people not able to get back into work if it takes them essentially you know six months to get to a point where somebody's going yes we'll give you we're we're agreeing to pay for and fund the support that you need to do work when my pa changed about three years ago i had to go back to access to work and you know make sure you know because yeah the days and the hours were different with this new pa and all that kind of stuff and i just wanted to update the information and they telephoned my nan had just passed away um and they telephoned me about three or four days before the funeral and said uh, if you if you don't get this to us by the end of the week uh we're closing the claim and it hadn't been sorted this information mm. they needed and i said can you give me until like an extension till the next week when the funerals are out of the way and i and I'm a bit, a bit of a better headspace yes that's fine no problem the day of the funeral, I we got I got back to the wake and I realised I'd missed a missed call from Access to Work, and they said if we don't get this information by the end of the day, you'll have to start the claim again. So it sent me into an apoplexy. I was already grieving for my, my nan, Absolutely. and it sent me into an absolute tailspin because I was like, if I, if I don't have my PA, I can't go to work, and you know that will delay everything we got back in touch with access to work and they were so apologetic that that wires had just been crossed and you think you know that in itself puts people off furthering their career doesn't it you know well and you know what that is that i i had a very similar experience the email that i got saying hey we want to have a call with you i got it on tuesday saying we're going to call you tomorrow at half past three and i was like well i'm in the middle of giving a presentation for work so no you're not yeah but the email said you have a duty to meet the commitments and manage your calls with access to work and and it's just and failure to do so will result in the closure of your and it's like you they go in aggressive immediately and it's almost as if i i i told my husband about it and he said it's almost as if they've gone oh well she's she's disabled she's going to be incompetent and unable to to do this unless we tell her off and tell her really sternly yeah and you know and actually when I spoke to the advisor she rang and I sort of said look I'm I'm in the middle of this can you please call me back um on Friday she was like yeah absolutely that's fine 
it's it's just that the systems they've got in place are are their tactics, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and they're 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 almost sort of preset mm-hmm. to be difficult for us yeah. rather than open and inclusive and actually going hey how can we do this so that this works for you and you know when you've got employment things hanging over your head it's a very uncertain unsettling time as it is you know starting a new job making sure that your needs are met in the workplace and everything like that luckily my employer are absolutely fantastic and um are very very flexible with things like this and they're very supportive but there are you know there are places where you would go where they go actually this will put me off employing a disabled person if we've got to deal with another organization um alongside it it just the whole thing is off-putting um do you think the government in general in in the uk sees the the value of empowering disabled people or are they still looking at a health model the old health model where they see us as uh, somebody that needs help rather than someone who needs to be empowered. Yeah, I think COVID pandemic tells you everything you need to know about um, how the government sees disabled people. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been saying, I said on the podcast before that it's just a matter of time before, you know, the fuel crisis gets to a head and Boris starts saying, well, we'll just, you know, just burn the disabled people there. They're not useful. We'll just use them as fuel. That's what they did in the olden days, isn't it, Alice? <laughs> exactly. Just chuck us on the fire. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, is that there? Is that then where uh, we need disabled people to, to uh, you know, come together the same as they did in the nineties, you know, and just be a force to be reckoned with? Can Can I give an example? The, the uh, back here a couple of years ago. Um, we, we introduced the marriage equality uh, law, which meant that, um, you know, same-sex marriages uh, could, could happen. Uh, up to uh, 10 years before that, Ireland would have been seen as a very um, Catholic country. Very Now, Ireland has changed massively in the last decade or two. But the reason that uh, that law was changed, everybody assumed it was because uh, all the disability, or sorry, all the the the, the gay organisations, the LBGT, and all those uh, were very articulate uh, at, at getting out and voting. But the reason the law was changed was they got their message out, and the people who voted was the little old lady down in the village who thought, "Do you know what? Why can't uh, John and Tom uh, uh, get married?" They educated the public, and what I'm saying is. If, if we, if disabled people could, could harness the, 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 the methods and, uh, that, that they use, I think we could bring about massive change because the reality is governments, governments only make change when they feel threatened or under pressure. Uh, you know, in other words, in an ideal world, they would like us all, you, you referred back to COVID and all that, and we, we, we did get an insight, but uh, if, if they see us as a force to be reckoned with, the same as they do, uh, they did rather the 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 LBGT um, groups. I I think we could bring about massive change, you know, and I, I think there's an opportunity for us to do it, not just within our own country, but part of, you know we, we need to be coming together as a broader um, uh, group as well, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to stop. <laughs> just thinking about that, Colm. 
seems exhausting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to look. Can I go and have a lie down before we start? Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. I like the idea of like one giant disabled transformer yeah. like barreling down on Westminster. Yeah. So like that's a what tank. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the reality is we shouldn't have to, do, you know, in an ideal world, we shouldn't have to do this. And maybe in a couple of decades, you know, a new generation of to say, but people won't. Like you mentioned there, Lucy, about having a PA. I remember in 1993, uh, the uh, independent living movement in the US, UK and here were fighting for PAs. It, was not, it didn't exist up, up to, I think it was not 1994 or whenever. It, it, it was the idea of somebody getting a personal assistance, governments just not, not a chance. Like we slept and camped in, you know, in sleeping bags outside government buildings. And eventually uh, they agreed to a pure, not because they sat down and thought, you know what, this is something we should do. They did it because they were embarrassed. They didn't like mm -hmm. the idea of lots of disabled people, uh, wheelchairs outside the front of, of government buildings, TV cameras, interviews, it embarrassed them. And that's why they, uh, the, the changes were made. I, I just don't see that we should, what, again, we shouldn't have to do any of these things. Absolutely. You know, we should get all the things we're, we're entitled to. The government should see that we're a valuable resource that can work the same as anybody else if we're given that little bit of support, which financially in the end saves the money. But unfortunately, they don't. They still aren't. They still don't think that way. They still think along the health model. I, I mean, it's exactly what happened with um, the uh, suffragette right to yeah. vote movement. Yeah. Was, that, you know, although we, and I mean, you know, suffragettes campaigned and campaigned and campaigned and it actually took the war effort before. It was only when um, the men weren't there that everybody went, actually, oh yeah, we, we yeah. need to do something to say And, and you, they yeah. were embarrassed. Yeah. They, they realised that there were suffragettes standing outside Parliament saying, you've just relied on us to keep the country going while men were out at war for four years and yeah. you won't let us vote. And even then it wasn't do everybody. You not, it, oh yeah, but it was, do, it, it, they, they couldn't, they couldn't hold on to their backwards ideas anymore because frankly, it was embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's about force. It is about forcing their hands. And I know, you know, I I do agree with you, Con. We shouldn't. I mean, it's 2022 for goodness' sake. Yeah. We should not still have to be having these conversations, but we are. And that's why I think you know there is an element of. I th I think you're right about you know if we can if we can join together as as a more cohesive community, but. It's so difficult it's when extreme. the government and systems have been put in place to discourage that. I often say that being a disability advocate, the you know, the way I am, and the fact that we you know got this podcast, sure. and we bang on and bang on and bang on about these issues, and and I am out there, you know, in working in the disability sphere. It often feels some days you come home from work. And you are absolutely exhausted. And it's you still have the show. Yes. yes. It's I'm disability doubt. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It feels like you are wading through treacle. And there are days where you think, I can't do this anymore. I don't know how much more breath in my body I have to lend to, hey, 
Let me talk to you about the disability movement yeah. because well, you do feel like it's just falling on deaf ears. And, no, and, and that's that's why I think it it makes it really hard then for people to to want to kind of engage in in community movements and, mm. and communal movements because if you spend ages and ages fighting for someone else's thing and then you come home and you're exhausted and you know you've still got to fight for your thing tomorrow yeah. that's a lot i can see why people you know are almost selfish about it sometimes you have to be it's wednesday today i'm not bothering it's not that it's not that they're going us wednesday today i'm not bothering i'm tired it's just that they just don't know what else to do sometimes people just burn out like for example we yeah. thought we we all know the you know i've been out and i've got out of my car and i've seen seen somebody else uh parking in a disabled parking space you know and a friend has said to me oh come on we go over and we'd say something and i'd say do you know what today i don't want to I, I've yeah. I've done all I've done all my my you know banging on doors and saying to people today I just want to go in and get a coffee I don't want to have to go over and have an argument about yes they shouldn't be parking there but just you know what I'm, I'm switching off now I've been doing this for uh, all week so yeah I it, it is hard work and it, it, the other thing which I think has happened which is is one of the positives and again I'm I the reference point I can really refer back to is people with a, an acquired injury, like a spinal cord injury. A lot of the, the people who had their injury, say in the last decade, a lot of them, a lot more than in my time, are either returning to their previous place of work or there are supports for them to go back to work. So in a way, one of the things that we have lost in the disability movement is we have, we're, we're losing some of the more articulate people because they're going into mainstream work which is brilliant absolutely the way it should be but we we're, we're we're also losing that voice and what happens is that you know the likes of you guys and myself who've been doing this for years you get burnt out you know you you get tired going and meeting the same people and having the same argument and you know i i think back to a, a working group i was with a, in meeting with the government you know the, the really frightening thing is there were six of us touch wood i'm the only one still alive the other five people all died uh i'm not saying they all died as in they just you know faded away because uh, they were worn out but uh, they, they these were people who'd been doing it longer than i had and they were worn out and they they, they just they'd done all the campaigning they could so it is it, you know without playing the martyr it is hard work and sometimes people uh just can't do it anymore that's the reality of it actually that that's that's touched me a little bit actually because if you think of the other side of the coin so this week on sunday would have been my best friend's um 34th birthday um he he's not with us anymore he he was in a wheelchair and sadly passed away because due to his disability yeah um and when i think about what he could have achieved there's almost like a sense of a responsibility so there is a sense of responsibility that i feel it's a stupid sense of responsibility some people might say but like who am i to ever <laughs> complain about my getting older my birthday you know that you know because i've i know people that would love to be the age i am now so i don't moan about getting older yeah 
Wait till you're my age, then you really know. <laughs> but then, and then, but you look at the, the side of the coin when it comes to advocacy and you think, well, you know, he was just as outspoken and as passionate about disability as I was. So, do you know, I think to myself, well, if I can do it for all of those other people who aren't here now, that I think is a quite nice way to honour them and their memory. So there are there is a bit of me that 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 does this sort of stuff for all the other people that are here. Can I just tell you something? Uh, the reality is, uh, you know, you may say that sometimes you get tired, but I, I'm going to tell you this now. It's 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 part of who you are. It isn't going to change. I, I know yeah. people who are disabled and they they would never consider getting involved and that's absolutely right that that's what works for them but the reality is for certainly for me and for you um uh, that's not going to change it's part of our dna um you know i think half of my problem is calm i can't sit quiet and yeah. just sit on my hands and yeah. watch things happen yeah. yeah you know i have to do something and say something and you know as i always as i always joke you know if something upsets me, I call a press conference yep. about it, really. Yep. yep. Um, but think... Go on. Sorry. Sorry. I was, I was going to ask, Colm, you know, you, you said about people sort of moving out of doing disability advocacy and us, you know, sadly losing people as, as the years go by. Do you think that there is a different attitude amongst younger disabled people towards disability advocacy? Uh, yes. Do I think that that's, uh, is there anything wrong with it? No, I think, yeah, again, if I can just go back to, if we think back to when I had my accident in 1980, there wasn't a dish footpath, uh, there wasn't an accessible bus, an accessible train, um, there weren't PAs. So, I mean, we have made huge progress. Um, so, Thankfully for the next generation of people who either require disability or are born with a disability, there have been improvements. And if somebody with a disability, you know, has an accident like mine, a motorcycle accident, and I would have met people who, uh, after their rehab, are able to return to work, go back, do, do, you know, do the same job and do, you know, whatever else and get on with life. It's, it's very understandable that they, you know, that they never get involved in the disability movement, you know, so... It's not a bad thing. I just think, unfortunately, some of the, the firebrands that we used to have, uh, we've lost some of those. And, and uh, you know, maybe, as I said earlier, the way to address that is if, if, if we come together as a collective, uh, you know, our voices together are equally as loud as that one individual that was, you know, we all we can all think of somebody, you know, who was just one of those dynamic people that just got things done. But I, I do think... I do think there's a whole generation out there that aren't getting involved and you know i can understand it if, if they if they can get back get on and go to college and go to work i was going to say do you think it's almost a complacency because they've got things that you that weren't available when you were uh, yeah. younger that that i i was about uh, to say that whether it's like an, an unawareness of i think it's an unawareness yeah movement. yeah and i and you know yeah. something maybe that's one of the little pats on the backs we, we, we should give ourselves in that they didn't experience uh, some of the negative things that, you know, like, if, you know, I remember when I had my, 
uh, my accident and I decided uh, to go into the, the city on my own and my parents were you're not going in on your own and I so I, I lied and I said I'm going to meet some friends I, I got a taxi into town I couldn't cross from one side of a road to the other I had to educate people how to tip my chair up high footpaths and get me down footpaths and very nearly a couple of times was tipped out now I can go I can go into the city I know where all the dish footpaths are there's, there's disabled parking spaces which there weren't before there's, I can use the buses I can use the trains now okay there are still problems with trains with, with ramps and all that a bit but if if somebody acquires a spinal injury now and they don't experience any of those it's understandable that they don't get drawn into the the outrage that you guys are talking about or i'm talking about so mm. it, we've we've done them a service it, my worry though is that the next generation won't drive things to the next level and that we that some of us just get burnt out that's why i think you know learning about disability history is so important yeah. not only not only is it is it fascinating is probably the wrong words but i find it really interesting because it's i've got a vested interest in it oh. but i definitely think that's why we do the history lesson episodes on on the podcast yes you know we don't necessarily do a timeline of this is how the disabled the disability movement was formed and worked its way out to what we have today but we focus on people that you probably wouldn't either a have ever heard of or b didn't realize they were disabled because their stories are just as important as the, the... and i think the thing that, that i that i've noticed about all of the history lessons mm. that we've done is although we're looking at individuals yeah. you cannot help but as part of exploring their story get an understanding of what it was like for them as a disabled person yeah. in their place in, in time. time yeah and that you know that one of the things that I think those history lessons has shown us is that although there there may have been changes in um sort of access and there may have been some you know improvements in um attitudes and you know misconceptions that much of what we we hear about in these stories rings true still yeah. that um you know the the way that people are excluded or perceived remains still and i suppose that that is the thing that even if you know there are young people now who have um you know in your to follow your example calm young people who acquire spinal injuries are still able to go out because there's you know accessible curbs buildings are more accessible infrastructures sort of been improved in terms of access um which you know i think i think in many many ways that that's not an necessary and it's not been improved enough there are still issues oh, access issues all over the place yeah but i think the the big the thing that young people with disabilities will still experience in the way in the the way that we all have yeah the one constant the, exactly is it's the those the way society treats us on a daily basis 
it doesn't matter how hard you scrub that stain will always be there you know the societal yeah. treatment you can make you know town centers flat and doors wide and lights even and easy read and braille and everything that sounds like a utopia <laughs> but but it that does not change the attitudes no. of people people will still yeah. kind of be dicks unfortunately <laughs> somebody said to me about they were talking about access and i i remember turning around and saying that steps or 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 you know no ramp outside they don't mm. disable me as much as attitudes you know mm. um, I, if, again to give an example i was i was in uh, barcelona and the, you know, I'd looked up in the internet and I, I mentioned earlier my passion is martial arts. And there was this large martial arts shop with books and I love books and whatever else. And I found it on Google Maps and headed down to it and arrived down. And there were four steps up to the uh, the shop. And I was with my wife and my wife very kindly suggested and said, maybe I can get you up. And I said, there's no way we're getting up those steps. So I said, listen, you go off and shop. I said, and I'll... I, I, I sort something out. A few minutes later, a couple of big guys were walking by and I went up and I stopped them and I said, listen, I need to get into that shop. And I said, will you guys give me a hand? Straight away, no problem. They, they were very pleasant. We, they talked about it. I explained which way to gr- grab the chair and they, they gave me a hand into the, 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 the store. Their attitude could have disabled me more than the steps outside. In other words, they, they were, yeah, sure, absolutely, no problem. So while we talked about dished footpaths and taxis and, and buses, the, the, the one thing that will continue to disable us more than, than anything is the general public's perception of us. If they see see the, the disability, we, in other words, if they see me as a wheelchair user and all they can think about is my limitations or their perceived limitations that I have, that disables me more than uh, there being a step into a building. So that's, that's where the real work needs to be done. I, I suppose, I mean, one of the, the things that that providing ac- access in terms of, you know, physical access, yeah. um, one of the things that that does do, does enable disabled people to be out in the community oh, and in society. And, and in doing so, that that challenges those ideas a bit more. Yeah. Um, it's certainly but, easier to get around now than it was. But, yeah. Yeah. but that work has to go hand in hand yes. with um, the the work on attitudes because, because, you know, Lucy might be able to get around everywhere if there's ramps and wide spaces and things like that. And that's, but she's not going to want to leave the house if people are going to, stare at yes. her and point and ask questions yeah. Yeah. every time she goes out i just go out anyway alice you know me i'm like what well, are you staring at that 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 gin's not gonna buy itself no it's exactly yeah. somebody needs to buy it doesn't yeah. <laughs> but you see not um, every, not everybody you see we have to remind ourselves and obviously uh, well you can obviously hear i can talk uh, so that's not a problem for me and i can guess you guys can talk but not everybody, yeah. not everybody uh, is as vocal or as comfortable with their disability. Uh, and that's, that's, what's, that's what's so sad is, you know, I would have seen people go through rehab and it doesn't matter what you do. Um, 
for them. The, the, the fact is, they, they and I, I'm not blaming them in any way, but they were never comfortable with their, 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 their disability. And because they, they just didn't want to have to go out and face the world, they should be able to. In other words, what I'm saying is, if when they ended up with a spinal cord injury and they're lying in bed for the rehab, instead of them thinking, oh my God, I'm now going to have to enter this world that's so difficult for disabled people. If they were thinking, hold on, I know all these different people who are, 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 are wheelchairs and they're, they're doing that and that guy does the news on the TV. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't be as scary. You know, so it is, as you said, it is part, there are two parts to, to the, the what's needed. One is the, the physical structure, the, 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 the supports within the, by the government, but the, we also need to change uh, perceptions and attitudes. And I, I think we still have a bit to go. What do you think, Colm, was, I mean, how, you've, you've just given the example there of, of people in rehab that you saw who, who, you know, by the time they left rehab, they were still, still dreading being disabled, still not comfortable with their new disabled identity. What, what do you think was different for you? Why do you, did you, why have you managed, how have you managed to find yourself at the point you are now? Oh. where you say you're comfortable and accepting of your disability oh. versus these people that weren't? I, I, I think I'm very lucky. I think there were a number of circumstances. Uh, one, uh, initially, I, I worked as a, an illustrator, an artist in an ad agency. So I was still able to work, go back and do the work that I did previously. Mm. I had a, a, a girlfriend that was absolutely amazing and got two buses out to see me in rehab every day and uh 30 odd years later whatever it is we're, we're, we're still married um so congratulations uh, well i think she needs to be uh praised more <laughs> having to put up with me all the time congratulations to you well done yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly but but so uh, you know and i had good family support i had good friends uh so I, I a lot of things for me i was very fortunate i also lived in in the suburbs i didn't live maybe outside you know away from everything so i i i genuinely believe i was lucky i also believe that uh, i i am always anything i take up whether it was fly fishing or kayaking or martial arts or whatever it is i i get so drawn into it so it, it just isn't in my nature to sit at home and do nothing it, it just so i i i'm lucky i'm not saying i'm any better or special or marvelous no. i'm just i genuinely think that just a couple of dif different things just came together as i said um as i said a, a, a girlfriend who, who gave me huge support but family uh, was able to initially go back to to work my age i was 21 and look i'm not saying that i didn't pull up to duvet in rehab and have a good old cry and and ask why this is happening to me and get angry and uh, whatever but you you asked me as well what what helped me can i give you a story about an american vietnam veteran that i met a couple yes. of months after my accident they, there was a, an american vietnam veteran came over from the usa he was his family were irish so he was over tracing his his roots like americans do and um he called into the rehab center and said to the uh the nurses, because he worked in a rehab centre in, in the United States, about giving a talk to the nurses and the doctors. 
And they said, absolutely, we'd, we'd love to hear your experience. So they, they arranged for him to give a talk, but it was only supposed to be for staff. It wasn't supposed to be for, for patients. I'm not sure why, but one of the nurses said to me, I think you should be uh, sitting in at this. So I, I sat down the back of the, 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 the lecture room and, and uh, I always... Sorry, Con, was, was this gentleman a... Weird oh, yes, he was. Yeah, he was, a, yeah. he was a spinal injury, the same as myself. So. Okay. And uh, I always remember, you know, he talked about his experience and he'd had his, his, his... He was shot in Vietnam, so he was injured in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, which again was very different to my experience. And I always remember a nurse saying to him, uh, how did he cope with his injury? And he turned around and he sat up straighter in the chair and, and he looked down the, 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 the lecture hall at the nurse and he said, I don't cope with it. And I, I, I'm sitting down the back and I'm going, okay. He said, I deal with it. He said, the language that we use to ourselves is so powerful. Uh, mm. He said, so I, I talk about, I deal with my injury. And for, for whatever reason, that clicked with me. And I, I what, mm. 40 odd years later, I, I, I now work as a, a trauma and life coach and business coach. And for me, the, the, the most powerful tool that we have for ourselves is the language we use. Uh, you know, Lucy, you talked about uh, going out and no, nothing stopping you, getting, the, getting that gin that you wanted or whatever. But, <laughs> but, but, but really, what, what that's about is, that's about you've done all that talking to yourself and you've said, you know what? Yeah, people might look at me. People may have seen me. And I mean, you would have had a different experience to me in that, you know, you had to experience uh, being a child with a disability, which mm. I have no understanding of. So, you know, mm. it, in some ways, it, if if we can take our strengths from the, 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 the way people treated us or whatever, uh, it, it, it can empower us. But again, I think that sometimes it's not that we're better. I just think that we're fortunate the way we look at things. And again, maybe the, the, the support we had from family. I think that's really true. I think yeah, especially what you're yeah. saying about the language we use. Like for me, um, I, I have made myself almost kind of challenge my own uh, sort of perceptions of my own disability for a long time. I, I found it very hard to accept um my disability my my eyesight is degenerative so for a very long time um i was passing as non-disabled and didn't need as much sort of help and support as i do now and i actively try and when i'm getting upset about something i may be finding difficult or not able to do or an accident happens that is related to my sight loss I actively try and think about, try and, and recognize that what I'm feeling is frustration. Yeah. That I'm feeling, I'm not, I'm not angry at myself. I'm not sad. No. I'm frustrated. I think and, it's taken me a, a very long time to understand that I am, like, it's not like in that moment of frustration. I think to myself, I don't want to be disabled anymore because I, I hate it. Yeah. Mm. It's more, I don't want to be disabled anymore because this is so frustrating. I've yeah. been doing this for an hour and this yeah. is annoying. Like, if if you actually sat down and said to me, right, I can flick a switch now and you'll be able to, I'd be like, not, not, you know, if somebody said to me, I can wave a magic wand and you won't be disabled anymore and you won't have, 
Uh, there are some elements that I wish would bog off, if I'm honest. Um, but I, I don't think I would swap. It's, swap. It, it's that, it's I think, when you... It's the not the sadness. And I think that it's one of the things that Lucy and I have, because we've grown up with our disabilities, mm -hmm. that we've both had to kind of learn and recognise is that actually being disabled has made us who we are oh, and is part oh, of who we are. Absolutely. And taking that away from us would change who We'd we are. We'd probably be really boring, wouldn't we? Well, and, and the thing that I, you know, if somebody said to me, I can take your eye condition away from you like that, just magically, mm. actually it is, it is, I mean, obviously I'm very tempted by the idea of that because it would be really nice to just not have to work at stuff all the time yeah. however yeah. there is you know it's it, it's a conversation in my head because actually being blind is a huge part of who I am and if you take that away from like if if I say yes I want you to take that away from me well what does that say about my feelings about myself and mm. my, my self-confidence my self-esteem yeah. you know I don't not like myself actually I really like who I am. I think I'm, I'm pretty badass. Like, and if you if you were to ask me to list what it, what elements of my disability I'd rather not have, mm. it's probably the the pain mm -hmm. I am always in constantly that can go away. Yep. I would like to actually go out past eight o'clock at night. Do you know? Yep. What I mean? uh, I'd quite like that. Do I want to climb a tree? Not really that bothered. What yeah. about stairs? Not really bothered about stairs either. Yeah. Um, like, I would probably like it if I could do things a lot fat, you know, a lot faster, the same quickness as a non-disabled yeah, person. That's what it is for that me. Would be it, really helpful. Yeah. It's the. It's the. But don't you evolve and adapt? Don't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it becomes your. In other words, you realise that you can get mad about something for so long, and if every time you tackle a particular. Uh, Thing that you have to do and if every time you approach it with oh god and you're angry about it you know it saps all your energy eventually you reach mm -hmm. a point and you say you say to yourself do you know what me getting angry about this isn't going to change it it's not going to make it good like for example when i travel particularly if i travel on my own air travel uh, if, you know we anyone who travels with a, a wheelchair um, it, it can be an experience and, you know, I, I stopped myself, you know, I used to stop doing it as I'm not doing it anymore. And then I thought to myself, do you know, do I, if I, do I not want to go to these places anymore? So, you know, yeah, what I like to be, my friends who can just, you know, go online and book a ticket, arrive at the, the, the airport and just hop on the plane. Absolutely. It would be nice. But I, I can either give out about it and say I'm not going to do it anymore. Or I say, do you know what? I, there are a few things, but when I get off the plane at the other end and I arrive in, whether it's Barcelona or New York or Nepal or wherever it is, it's, you know what, it's worth it. So I, and I, I don't, exactly. yeah, and I don't know what it is about having a disability that non-disabled people think, oh, their lives must be so sad because, but what, why? Because I can't move? Because I can. Because I can't have a dance? Because I can. 
very I've danced very badly. Everything comes from the elbows. Um, <laughs> I, I danced very badly before my accent, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like we still manage to find those little pockets of joy that everybody else finds. We just have to go about it along and you know, things, a different way. The things that frustrate me about my disability are hurting myself because I'm walking into things or yeah. losing my balance or not being able to find things. It I get really irritated by how long stuff takes me yeah like it's those things it's not actually going i can't see that like it doesn't bother me that i have to have audio description on when i watch tv that doesn't bother me at all so it doesn't bother you that you have to have your books read to you not at all not at all and it's and and you sort of it it has taken me quite a lot of work on like my own thought processes and things like that mm. but you could you could spend your whole life going I hate this I really really wish someone would come along and make it go away you can spend all of your energy wishing for the thing yeah. that's just not ever like it's not going to happen and no, so and, and isn't that what I I think I mentioned that earlier when I talked about people when they they acquire their injury they never move on from it the reality is it, it's the oh, the biggest loser is them, you know. Like mm. I said, I, I, I remember meeting a, 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 a person when I had my accident, and he used to take the sides off his wheelchair, you know, the, the pieces that are supposed to stop you falling out. Um, and he used he'd sit up on the bed and he'd beat his wheelchair. And I, I'd only had my accident, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh my god, and I'm thinking, you know, th- that wheelchair is going to be my means to, to, to get around. I, mm. I, when I set up the organization years later and I came across him again, he was still angry. He had done nothing in two or three decades. So it, it, there's a point where you, yes, when I had my, my accent, what, what, did I, you know, when I was told, no, you're not going to walk again, did I go, oh, yeah, okay. I was very angry. I was very scared, of, you know, I'm very upset. But there's a point where if you're fortunate, with the right support and the right, you, you just happen to have a particular approach. You come out the other end of it. Um, you you get on with it. You know, I, I, and I think you, you can still it. be angry, but yeah, I think oh, you yeah. can use that anger and that fear to do something productive rather than being angry at what's happened to you be angry at because of what's happened to you the world now doesn't let you do the things you want to yeah. do that that's what you should be angry about but isn't that why you guys are still doing what you're doing you haven't lost that that passion you know yeah i was gonna say i don't think we're doing the podcast because we're angry i think no i'm you're passionate about it you're yeah, passionate absolutely yeah and that, and and i mean just because lucy and i can't always talk we yeah. will be doing this oh, until I, someone I, actively pulls the plug and says, no, stop talking now. Actually, actually, though, what Calm has just said, Alice, is the fact, you know, the fact that I, we didn't intend this to be like a support group for one another because we didn't know each other before we set this up. True. But actually, what I, what we have, well, what you certainly, you certainly have become to me is a source of, I don't what do I do what, what do I do about this? I'll speak to Alice. I'm quite cross about this. Let me speak to Alice because she always manages to calm me down and say, You're being a bit stupid there, Lucy. Just calm down and think about this. Cause you've got you've gone in gun her and you've got all these emotions tied to it. And uh, you know, 
you go so look we'll talk about this methodically and i will help you with this and it's like that to me having somebody who who you might not have the same disability as i have alice but you are definitely that source of alice understands how shit this is yeah. do you know what i mean and if you don't understand you you are willing to listen and learn about why i find it so shit that's what i have found since knowing you you've become a great support to me when i've been some sort of crisis which is quite often really if you think about it you do love a crisis yeah i do, <laughs> I do love a crisis does, you're right yeah does that show where peer support is so important yeah you know absolutely like when i had my accident for the first few years uh, i did it wasn't was it delivered yes it was i didn't want to have anything to do with with uh, other wheelchair users because I, I didn't want, I suppose I was trying to establish who I was, you know, as in I was saying, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to be just, you know, now that I'm in a wheelchair, all my friends are wheelchair users. But, you know, I reached a point where I became comfortable with myself that all of a sudden I felt, you know, it, it, it's not a problem. But initially, what I got my head around who I was, um, I, 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 I didn't have a lot to, to do with. But once I got involved, as in it was my wife who one day when I was given out about access or disability rights said to me, you know, instead of just giving out about it, why don't you do something? And I set up Spinal Injuries Ireland. And then all of a sudden I was meeting, you know, hundreds of people with different disabilities, you know, campaigning about whatever. It, it was enriching, you know, it, 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 all of a sudden it, 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 it gave me an insight. And, and we talked about it at the start, the black humour, but... Um, you know that black humor that the two disabled people can can just share that if if anybody else heard they'd be shocked. Uh, you know, they're part of what what supports us as well. And I think people who never never realize that and never have the support of you know uh, of of somebody else who who maybe has a disability, they they, they could well be missing out on something. I'm not saying you have. Yeah, to, I'm not saying you have to just have disabled friends, no. but I think it's an integ. It can be an integral part. Of, of of who you are and, and can be a resource it's it's funny because when i grew up I, when i went to school i went to special school so it was, a, it was a school for children with disabilities so we were all disabled nobody was different everybody was everybody everybody was different but they, nobody was like stared at yeah. or anything like different that. all different together all different together yeah. that's it um and so i was at the schools from about the age of three till the age of 18 17 18 something like that by the time i was 17 18 i was ready to get out of that bubble of disabled yeah. people you know disabled kids being my friends and so i went to a mainstream college found it very difficult to make friends but made a made a handful of non-disabled friends um who i love dearly and that but now i seem to have gone full circle so my work in, is in disability obviously with this podcast we meet lots of interesting disabled people alice well, you know i met alice online a happy accident i always call it um and but i it's not i i'm quite i'm quite embracing again now of disabled having disabled friends there was a period of time where i wanted to kind of distance myself a little bit while I sort of found, like you said, found who I was as a, as a teenager going to college. I was like, wanted to rebel a little bit, I think, yeah. but now I've fully embraced the whole 
disabled people are great, aren't they? I think it's about finding sort of people people realizing on both sides of the coin that you can have friends who are disabled and you don't spend all your time talking about disability. No. But you can also have friends who are disabled where you do have that recognition of the same shared experiences and yeah. being able to support sort of that almost, you know, because although I don't have the same disability as Lucy, when she comes to me with stuff that is about the disabled experience, I do have have that. I can go. Yeah, I get it. Um, but, you know, I I think a lot of Yeah, things... I get it. Have a gin. Calm down. <laughs> no, I, think, I think a lot of the things, you know, when you come to me with stuff, a lot of the stuff you come to me about when you're like in a flap is like, <laughs> you know, when you were doing your online dating and I was like, you know, I talked to you about it as a friend, not as a yeah. disabled person. And I think that's... Yeah. You know, listening to what you were were saying then about <laughs> and Cole, if if you've heard the show before, Lucy, uh, Lucy has on more than one occasion sat and talked about how wonderful it's been since she's met me, and I usually make a really <laughs> sarky comment. Um, oh, you're gonna make me cry! Oh, is this a mascara warning? <laughs> um, but I guess the thing that I would say from the stuff that Lucy was saying there, you know, of of what she found when we stumbled across each other and started the show i think the thing that i found is it's just a it's a friend like i found a friend and i share lots of different things with lucy and one of them is the disability podcast that we do and yes that is a lot of what we talk about is disability <laughs> and podcast admin you should see our fucking facebook messenger it's just constantly <laughs> this needs doing this is doing have you seen this two oh my o'clock God. in the morning i wake up and i'm like what the hell is she going on about now but <laughs> it is also just you know random chat about new gins we've tried and yeah. there's uh sort of three days worth of me just sending her pictures of jason momoa over and over again going jason momoa that's um, true <laughs> mostly without his shirt on yeah. and uh, and and i think that that's i guess that's that's the thing that's that's really important is that it's not just the disability experience that we've shared oh, and absolutely and i think boring. that that's yeah, well, and I th and I think that that's the thing about again, sort of bringing it back to talking about us working together as a disabled community rather than disparate groups is saying that it may not be the specific shared experience of I can't access this because I am a wheelchair user, or but a wheelchair user can access this and person a blind person can't, or whatever it is, is is maybe going well you know we we may not have the exact same shared experience but we're on the same team yeah yeah, yeah. You, t you talk about the, the different experiences i remember being at a conference and there was a a footpath on a road that wasn't dished and the, the my friend was was who was blind um it was a particular busy road so we we what we did it ended up i said i can't get down the uh, footpath on my own and he said well i can't cross here on my own so it was a case of uh, he helped me down off the uh 
the, the footpath and I, he then held on to the back of the chair and we, we got across the road. So it was a case of uh, between the two of us, we had a, a good set of eyes and a good set of legs. So we, 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 <laughs> we managed to get That's... across the road. Maybe we need to get that sidecar that your dad never used for yeah. Lulu's. Yeah. yeah, I think I think so. I think so. And then I can sit on the sidecar and uh, you can just, just drive us around. Yeah, have you seen my driving? <laughs> okay, okay. I'll sit in the sidecar, you yeah. sit in your wheelchair, and then we'll yeah. get Dora to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dora will do it. Dora, Dora's better at directions. Isn't yeah, it? there we go. Yeah, there we'll we go. Do, it's, it's, that's proper teamwork. Teamwork makes a dream work. <laughs> <laughs> Colm, this has been a really interesting chat. Thank you so much for coming no, on. Not at all. Um, before we started recording, you said there was uh, something you'd been working on that you particularly wanted to plug. Do you want to take the opportunity to tell people where they can find you online and yeah, about sure. what you're working on? Uh, I, I, I've mentioned a couple of times one of my passions is uh, martial arts, which it goes right, right back to before my accident and, and then after my accident, as I said, I, I got involved and I was fortunate, you know, that, that people, you know, welcomed me in and I traveled, you know, around Europe, you know, Belgium, Germany, England, uh, the United States, learning about different things. And in the last, very quickly, it was always initially just, I learned it for myself and then I saw the value and, uh, I started to introduce it as a program in the rehab hospital for patients, but I, I never thought about doing anything more than that. It was teaching the patients and whatever else. And I got, I got a, a message on Facebook from a mom in uh, Yellowstone in, in the United States asking me, could I teach her son who was a wheelchair user? And I explained that I was a bit far away in, in Ireland, so it wasn't really practical, but it got me thinking about, I thought, gosh, yeah, it would be nice if you could do something. So. I've been working with a, a, a guy called Andy Norman, who's from your part of the world. Uh, people might know Andy, Andy as a martial artist, but he was the guy who they said, uh, the phrase they use is he trained uh, Batman and Tom Cruise for Mission Impossible and uh, the Jack Reacher movies or whatever else, but an, oh, ama wow. an amazing guy. And again, he's one of those people that didn't see my wheelchair. You know, I, I contacted him online, explained what I wanted to do. He, he lives over in, in Valencia in Spain and uh, went over, met him, said what I wanted to do. And instead of him giving me that little sort of patronizing look that sometimes we can get as somebody with a disability, he went, absolutely, what can we do? So for the last four years, took a little longer because uh, there was this uh, little thing called COVID uh, arrived in the middle of it all. We, 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 <laughs> developed, we, we developed a, a, an online program for, for wheelchair users, a, a self-defense program. So. We launched it there recently, and um, it's 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 something that I hope I hope it becomes a resource for for wheelchair users. But we're also hoping that instructors uh, will will use it because mm. what I would hope is that um, they would you know do the course and then look say to themselves how can I can now accommodate wheelchair users? Yeah, uh, be able to open up mainstream martial uh, arts. Because again, it's, my it's next door neighbour is a martial arts teacher. I shall tell him about I it. Do and give him my name, and if he wants to drop me a, 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 a <laughs> line, be more than happy to. It's like LinkedIn live. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll peer over the the door, the fence next time he's outside telling his dogs off. I've got visions of me becoming like you know when Miss Piggy does the karate. <laughs> 
that's that's le that's lesson number three. So you could <laughs> the Miss Piggy Karate Chop. Yeah. I think you should rename it the Miss Piggy Karate Chop, just I, I, in honor of me. Yeah, it might just scare a few people. So if people <laughs> if, if people are interested, if they if they uh, can I give out my email address? Yes. Yep. Yes. yes it, of it's um it's column so that's C O L M at Defense Lab, which is all one word dot com. So column at defenselab.com. We'll also include that in your show notes for this episode. Yeah. So all the links and everything and if they will go, be in the description. And if they go on to the Defense Lab uh, website, which is just just look up Defense Lab and it, they, they'll find it. They'll get yeah. all the details then. And listen, we'll thanks, include that too. Listen, th thanks for 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 uh, listening to me rambling on. It was uh, it was fun. Oh no, it's been it's been interesting to have you on, Colm. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you know what to do. Rate, review, subscribe to us um and follow us on all the social medias. Leaving a review is a really, really helpful way of um us reaching new listeners so please do leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify and if you enjoyed this episode tell your friends you can share us um you know around with people we love to have new people join our little labeled club so yeah um thanks and we will see you next time bye bye Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labelled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. <laughs>